Welcome back, midterm showdown. Things are getting heated in the lead up to this year's midterm elections. The balance of power is on the line as Democrats try to hold on to their majorities in the Senate and the House amid inflation, the war in Ukraine, and historic division in the country. We'll talk about where things stand in these last few days, how Republicans might have a shot at taking back each chamber, what the news cycle is showing us, and the top issues hitting candidates. Plus, I'll sit down with New Hampshire State Rep candidate Neil Mishra to talk about all those topics and more. Today, November 4th, 2022. From Ishan Media, this is a special edition of the Ishan S. Show, Decision 2022, Your Voice, Your Vote, with me, your host, Ishan. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining us today for this special edition of the Ishan S. Show. I'm so excited to welcome to you, to all, all of you, to this very special midterm edition. This is truly the moment that we've been waiting for in politics. But, but personally, a moment I've been waiting for in the entire duration of this show. You know, we started back in June of 2021 with the hope of maybe making it to this point, to November, uh, to November 8th. Back then, it was just a thought. But today, you guys, my listeners, my amazing listeners, have shown me that this is a reality, that people actually care about the political arena. People want to be informed on news, uh, on all the news that comes out of D.C., but across the country. So... Before we actually um, start talking about that, I just I just wanted to thank you, the listeners, for all of your support. I've worked hours and hours since June and actually May preparing and building this show to become what it is in a buildup to this to these midterms. Every time we've talked, I believe it's pretty much been relating topics to how they impact the midterms. So. I'm super excited for today, um, for, for today's episode, and I'm so excited for Tuesday for all the accomplishments we've made. So thank you. Now, we won't be live broadcasting coverage of the midterms like the big networks might be. However, the Ishan S. Show most certainly will be covering the night. So listen to me now. If you want to get every update on what's going on on election night after 7 p.m. Central Time, Follow the Ishan S. Show on Twitter and Instagram and turn on notifications. That way, you know every time we post, especially on Election Day, when you want to find out the most important and heated races coming to a close. But more importantly, subscribe to the political news blog on the Show.com. We'll be posting a live blog on the website starting at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time to begin our live coverage, where I'll also be analyzing the results as they come in. And we'll keep posting election maps. We'll post the nice little graphics that I've kind of designed. Um, you know, I'm very excited for it all. So on election night, we'll see where things, where the night takes us. I'm so excited for Election Day, and I really do hope you come into, uh, you know, you log on to the show.com and join us in our live coverage. Now, we're in that midterm swing, 
every moment in these next four days matters. Every hour, every television appearance, every speech, every movement, every poll, it is all going to be scrutinized to the bone as, a, as larger and larger sums of people are voting now, now that we get closer. We've already hit historic, historic amounts of early voting. I think we've already, we've, we're surpassing the 2020 election in some states. I, I may be wrong. It may be the entire country. I don't remember. But we are hitting records with, this, with these 2022 midterms. We are doing something. And this year's midterms are arguably one of the most consequential midterms of the 21st century. And I know people don't like it when others use that type of language to describe something like the midterms. But it's true. The 2022 midterms are going to be the most important midterms that we've seen this century. And that's because there is a lot on the line. The midterms season kicked off actually pretty early compared to previous years. Uh, it kicked off after the January 6th riots, after the tumultuous circus we call the 2020 election. And while various new faces have emerged in politics after that, the overarching theme of the feelings and the intensities of those moments have lasted through, and they are still present today, even in our discussions right now. Democracy is probably the biggest issue on the ballot. No matter if you're a Democrat that blames election deniers for the January 6th riots or you're a Republican that believes in election integrity being compromised, democracy is the biggest issue on the ballot thematically for voters across the spectrum. This feeling of that day has not expired and in fact has intensified. It's reached new heights unseen before in this country's history. Since then, states have passed large voting bills that have either made it easier to vote or harder to cheat. Some brand it as increasing access. Others say that they're trying to make it harder for you to get away with cheating when you're voting. Then there's the rise of election-denying movements in this country. People like Carrie Lake, who's running for governor of Arizona, or Doug Mastriano, who's running for governor of Pennsylvania, have received the blessing of former President Donald Trump to spread their unfounded claims of election fraud to the electorate. They have shown that they're not interested in compromising on their core beliefs. These are the core beliefs that their campaigns are built on. The January 6th committee is another specimen in all of this, and as I've said, for a long time, they somehow will make their way into every episode of this show somehow. Um, they've portrayed themselves as a, they've been portrayed rather as a partisan witch hunt. That's what people on the right want to say about it. And admittedly, their investigation has yielded mainly one side, uh, one side's praise, not much from the other one in question. But the fact is that this committee has altered our view of that day through their robust investigation. It's not that they aren't partisan, because in some of their tendencies, yes, I understand where people are saying this is a little partisan. But actually, they still are getting people to come and testify. They are still getting people to come sit in front of their committee and talk about what they experienced that day as somebody who, as people who are close to the levers of power in the White House. So they have done something to command attention, and I don't think that should be ignored. They have revealed things that no one would have anticipated or want to have anticipated. With it, they also changed politics in this country for a long 
time. No one would have ever thought that we'd be at a point where Liz Cheney, someone who's as Republican and conservative as they come, would go around endorsing Democrat after Democrat in an attempt to stop her own party. This is the same woman who voted with Donald Trump 93% of the time. According to her party, she is no longer considered Republican or conservative enough. And it's not just Liz Cheney. It is everywhere. It is everywhere in the Republican Party where people don't want to accept that uh, accept the idea of the so-called big lie. They don't want to feed into this idea that the election was somehow stolen. This has caused a major shift in the Republican Party, arguably bigger than when we saw Trump come to the scene. I, and this is mainly induced by Trump. Trump came onto the scene, whoa, earth-shattering. But when Donald Trump became the full-fledged leader of the party, which might have only actually been recognized after he left, that was seismic. And that was what really shifted the Republican Party. That is what shifted it, because before Trump left, there was room for establishment people like Mitch McConnell. Now, it's not. Now, they are the establishment. Now, MAGA is the establishment. They are what runs the party. So, What's the biggest issue on this year's ballot? Well, it's the future of our democracy. And I'm not trying to point fingers at one party or the other. It's just this issue of the future of our democracy ends up impacting everything we talk about. You know, in my involvement in politics, I go to Republican and Democrat events. I listen to Republicans and Democrats speak all the time. Every time, all of them, We'll talk about whether, I mean, I've listened to people talking about climate change bring up this issue. I've listened to people talk about criminal justice and bring up this issue. I've listened to people talk about lowering taxes, hiding away from inflation and bring up this issue. Some people say it's election integrity that they care about. Some people say it's about giving the right to vote. So it's, it's intertwined in our processes right now this idea of the future of our, of our democracy. And I know that sounds like a talking point for one side or a, a very biased statement, depending on what your political views are, but that's the point. Questioning the future of our democracy should not be this automatic polarizing discussion. When we come to a point where democracy's future success is being questioned, then we have to understand the agency of the moment. We need to understand that, that this is not a Republican or Democrat issue. January 6th wasn't a Republican or a Democrat thing because in the end, it was only America that stood embarrassed. This year's midterms matter a lot. And as I've maintained throughout the course of this show, it really does derive back to January 6th. We didn't know it then, but what happened that day set in motion all the events that led up to this year's midterms. Now, of course, other than the topic of our democracy, <laughs> other issues have also found their own distinct spots in the political conversation. The biggest issue of this campaign to have come out arguably even before the crisis in democracy is inflation. Since last year, when so many mitigation efforts were put in place to relieve Americans of the burden of COVID, inflation had slowly been rising. 
Many economists attribute this rampant inflation to large spending packages, including the CARES Act, the American Rescue Plan, among others, that drastically increase the supply of money in the economy, as well as increasing uh, significantly increasing consumer spending. Which is good, don't get me wrong, the more people who spend their money, the healthier the economy is. But again, too much of something will always backfire. And that's something I've said repeatedly on this show. Currently, inflation rates stand at 8%. Not as high as other countries, but definitely higher than what we've seen in a long time and definitely higher than what we're comfortable with. Couple that with consistently rising gas prices that started late last year and have gone well into this year, only exacerbated by the Russian invasion of Ukraine? That's the spell for an economic crisis. That's what Republicans have mainly been running on in this year's midterms. Inflation, gas prices, e- the economy. That's, they've, they've basically run their entire campaign on that, and that's become the core issue of this campaign. And the Inflation Reduction Act, that's a huge victory for the Democrats, it derives from inflation. But then... Another issue that has truly defined the midterms is the overturning of Roe v. Wade. While there are all kinds of social issues that have defined the political scene in this country, no topic has had a greater amount of influence or TV time or command that abortion has. For nearly 50 years now, it has defined American social issue advocacy, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice. It was quite a sudden shock when it was leaked back in May that the court wanted to overturn the landmark ruling. I remember actually when I had heard about it, I I think I was recording an episode for this show. I don't remember, but I know I was by my studio at the time and I get this leak and I'm like, whoa, they want to overturn Roe v. Wade. That's a big deal. Didn't see that coming. I mean, when you saw the makeup of the court, you weren't surprised that That's how the decision went. But the fact that the decision even came, that was surprising. And so when we got that leak, it was seismic. And then when the court actually ended up doing it, ballistic. Now, politically speaking, this ruling was a huge victory for the conservative right in American politics. It was decades of work, really, that culminated in this ruling. But then when you look at the electoral When you look at the electoral lens of all this, what you might be able to see is that this angered a lot of pro-choice voters who tend to really vote Democrat. Coming out of this ruling, there was an expectation that Democrat turnout would shoot up because of this ruling. And Democrats actually did benefit from this. Um, We saw Democrats start performing better in polls, uh, and we were in primary season at the time, so pro-choice candidates tended to get elected, had more support behind them. Even in Kansas, where they had a constitutional amendment referendum, Kansan voters voted to protect the right to an abortion, which is very surprising in Republican Kansas. You don't see that. So this abortion issue, might it be a social issue, but it's a political issue inherently. And this political issue has really defined much of the electoral landscape in this country. Other people like Mary Peltola won 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 her house seat primarily off of that increased turnout. Now, that enthusiasm has fizzled out a little as economic issues once again take center stage in the discussion of our politics, but don't mistake this fizzling out for an absence of this issue being a big part. It indeed is 
a very big issue um, in our in our political system. Uh, when I say issue, I mean topic of discussion, which drives Republican turnout and Democrat vote, vote turnout. Both of groups are ex- both groups are excited. One group is outraged. One group is elated, but it drives everybody t- to come out and vote because they have their own feelings regarding this oh, this this ruling. But other than those cardinal issues that have really dominated our discussions, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, gun violence, education, and healthcare are also all at the top of voters' minds. All of these issues I have very excitedly and happily covered here on the Ishan S. Show in previous episodes. So please take out the time and listen to those episodes to educate yourselves on this issue. Okay, because it's important that you know. So that's my take on all of this that we call the midterms. This midterm election, it's no understatement to say that everything is on the line. Our way of life, what we expect from our political discourse, peace and stability, depending on your political views, you view these as the same concerns but different causes. It's why I don't care what your views are. I only care that you go vote. Our founders enshrined in our Constitution the power to elect our representatives. They gave us the distinct privilege of being able to run this country, have a say in what goes on. Honor that. Even if you can't vote, I know that a lot of the show's audience is a high school audience, and I know you guys can't yet, but I still implore you to listen to shows like mine. Read about topics you care about. Watch the news. Advocate for issues you care about. In the end, every American that cares is the one as every American that decides the outcome of our future. And I've said it repeatedly. Politics is intertwined in the very fabric of our society, from the sidewalk outside your house to nuclear war. By next Friday, we will surely be in a new America, one that will set the course for the next two, four, six years. You better hope you had a say in that. So that was a discussion about this midterm election. (laughs) When we come back from the break, I'll be joined by New Hampshire state rep candidate Neil Mishra. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this short, short break. All right, we're back from our break. Now, as I've said a billion and one times on this show, voting is very important. But getting to know the perspectives and experiences of the people you're voting for is equally as important, from those running to be your school board member to your U.S. senator. That's why discussing the topics that we discussed before the break is so important and understanding the views of candidates on these issues. Our guest for today's episode is a Democratic candidate from the great state of New Hampshire who's running for state house to represent New Hampshire's 25th house district. We're joined by Neil Mishra. Thank you for joining us, Neil. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Ashan. All right. So before we get into our discussion today, why don't you take a few moments to introduce yourself to my audience? Yeah, sure. So my name's Neil Mishra. I'm a lifelong resident of Salem, New Hampshire. Uh, I'm running to be state representative in the 25th district of Rockingham here in New Hampshire. And I'm excited for this interview. Okay, so then let's get right into things. So um, let's first talk about New Hampshire politics. So you're from New Hampshire, which is a very close state. And I'm sure, as you know, it's 
it's gotten closer over the years. So yep. as a Democrat running in a not so friendly environment for Democrats this midterm, these midterms, mm -hmm. how difficult or easy do you think it is going to be for you to win your race this Tuesday, but also for other Democrats like Senator Maggie Hassan, who won her last election with just over a thousand votes? Right. So we've kind of seen a drift in the last decade, decade and a half. Uh, New Hampshire used to lean more red, and I'd say in the last decade and a half, it sort of drifted more into purple, lean, blue territory. Our entire congressional uh, delegation right now is all blue, for example. Uh, that wasn't the case, say, you know, 20 years ago, but it's definitely shifted in a blue direction. Uh, but like you mentioned, like you pointed out, we do kind of have the structural obstacle of the environment of the midterm this time around. Conventionally, you know, American political history dictates that the president's party does not tend to do well in a midterm cycle. So that definitely poses an uphill battle for Democrats in the state. I still believe uh, that we're still going to eke out some victories come Tuesday. They'll be tight. There'll be uncomfortable margins. We cannot take anything for granted. But I do think with the extremist slate of candidates that the Republican uh, side has put out this time around, I think that's going to be a huge liability for them. I think, honestly, for them, it's going to be a missed opportunity. Um, if they had put out more moderate candidates, I think they would have had a much, much, much better shot. I still think that they have a good shot of at least uh, flipping CD1. I really don't want to see them do that, obviously. Uh, I think that's going to be a very tight race. But, you know, for example, Dom Bolduc, he's just completely out of his mind. I think Chuck Morris would have had a much better shot of defeating Maggie, uh, the sitting incumbent. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't want to... I don't want to end up in a situation where Wednesday I might be eating my words, you know, and Don Bullduck does end up winning. But um, I, I do think that there is a question of quality uh, on the Republican side in terms of their candidates, and that might pose a liability for them, and it might pose a missed opportunity. So it is going to be a tough set of races. It is going to be an uphill battle. We are fighting. Uh, the structural midterm history there. And we're also up against sort of the difficult economic situation that we find ourselves in. But I do expect to see Dems eke out some victories on Tuesday. Okay. And so um, very briefly, if you can, why um, could you differentiate yourself from the, the way you put it, extremist candidates on the Republican side? How do you differentiate yourself from uh, those candidates? I think the way that we differentiate ourselves is just playing common sense uh, and holding true to our American values. I think the candidates on the Democratic slate, they stand for democracy. Uh, they stand for old fashioned American values. Uh, they stand for common sense. And I think a lot of what we're seeing on the Republic si Republican side is compromising on a lot of those values. A bunch of them don't even believe Joe Biden won the 2020 election. Um, I think that they pose a threat, fundamental threat to our democracy. And I think having that common sense conviction is what sets us apart from them. Okay, so, all right. So um, part of the reason Republicans have been doing 
better this year is because of the cost of living crisis and inflation issue in this country. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a big issue around the world, but it's hitting us here hard at home as well. So what are some state level policies that you would like to work on if you are elected to the state house? Uh, I'm glad you asked that question. Like you pointed out, a lot of this inflationary pressure, it's an international issue. Uh, every single developed country in the world right now is facing uh, an inflationary crisis. It's not specific to America. But having said that, there are things that we can do at the state level to mitigate the crisis and make it easier on folks' uh, wallets. So one thing, for example, that we can handle at the local level is energy and electricity in particular. New Hampshire has some of the most expensive electric bills in the country right now. And a big reason for that is that New Hampshire in particular has a very, very undiversified energy base uh, where very overly dependent on natural gas in particular and a bit of nuclear as well. So one of the first things that I would do when I'm elected to the state house is focus on diversifying our energy base with alternative sources of energy, including solar, including wind, which we can produce right here in New Hampshire. As you might expect, New Hampshire is not exactly known as a big producer of oil or gas or anything like that, but we can produce renewable energy here in this state. And if we do that, we'll be less dependent on importing natural gas and all these other resources, which have gotten ridiculously expensive. So that is something that we can handle at the local level. And that is something that I want to do when I'm elected to the state house. Okay. And so Art, with, I guess, with this issue of energy that you're talking about, um, is there room for compromising with Republicans? Because generally, and even in the talks that I've had with others, there is some pushback against pursuing these types of policies. So if you do see some pushback, is there any room for compromise here? Um, or is there any room for bipartisanship and trying to work with the other side to get some things that you want? Well, I'm, I'm happy to work in a bipartisan fashion uh, to get folks and get Republicans on board with this. Uh, but to be honest, if this had already been addressed by the legislature, we wouldn't be in such a deep crisis right now in New Hampshire with energy prices. Um, if folks, if Republicans on the other side of the aisle want to join me in correcting this issue, because I think everyone, regardless of political spectrum, can agree it sucks right now to pay this much for energy. Um, and there is a really obvious solution to this, at least in our state. Um, and I'm very happy to work with Republicans on this, and but I don't think uh, I don't think it's necessarily uh, my job to sort of coerce them into this. I think we already have a tangible solution here, and if they want to come along for the ride, I'll gladly welcome them. But they got to work with us on this. Okay, uh, so. Let's switch gears a little. So before the break, I was talking about the huge impact of the overturning of the landmark Roe v. Wade decision. Now, mm -hmm. as we get closer and closer to election day and many restrictive state policies are coming into effect, I wanted to hear your thoughts on this matter as well as the realities of abortion and the right and access to abortion in New Hampshire right now. Uh, that's a great question. I'm glad that you asked that. Obviously with the Dobbs ruling, uh, abortion has sort of been deferred to the states and become a state level issue. 
And we're seeing bans being implemented all across the country, which I find to be personally repugnant. Uh, in New Hampshire, we have this problem as well. In the last legislative session, the Republican majority introduced a bill, HB 1477, which would have implemented a six-week abortion ban in the state of New Hampshire, while the most extreme in the country. Many people don't even know that they're pregnant at six weeks in. Um, and it would have been a horrible, horrible infringement on the bodily autonomy of women. And it's completely, completely out of step with what Granite Staters actually want. Over 70% of Granite Staters prefer keeping a, woman, a woman's right to choose in this state, but the Republican majority has not reflected that in their actions at all. They also introduced another even more extremist bill, um, HB 1181, which I call the abortion veto bill. Effectively, what it would have done is it would have allowed a prospective father to go to a judge and that judge can issue an injunction banning a woman from getting an abortion. So it's effectively an abortion veto bill, uh, which I also find to be utterly disgusting, morally repugnant. And if I'm elected, I will make sure that the right to choose is not compromised in the state of New Hampshire. And I will be a persistent advocate for enshrining reproductive rights here in New Hampshire. And so how exactly do you go about doing that, whether that be trying to introduce other state level policies, increasing uh, funding for other programs? What exactly would you aim to do? Yeah, so here in the state of New Hampshire, we actually do not have an official law on the books that enshrines the right to reproductive care and rights to accessing abortions. We do have an abortion ban. Governor Sununu actually introduced the first abortion ban in modern New Hampshire history, and that was at 24 weeks and made no exceptions for rape or incest. So we have that on the books, but what we don't have on the books is something that explicitly uh, protects reproductive rights. So if I'm elected, I will introduce a bill, introduce legislation that explicitly preserves reproductive rights, access to reproductive care, and access to abortions in the state of New Hampshire. So I think that's the most obvious and most potent path we can go about doing that here. It's a big issue on the ballot. And another issue that is really um, dividing voters right now is the issue of gun control. So Gun control efforts have been a major part of the political discussion after the tragic shootings in Buffalo, New York, Uvalde, Texas, and not too far from my home in Highland Park, Illinois. Now, what are some things that you want to do in the state house again to ensure that New Hampshire doesn't end up on these types of lists? Uh, great question. I think I think most Americans, regardless of what state they live in, have been concerned about this spate of gun violence that has been affecting our country. It's certainly something that we do not want to see here in New Hampshire. We don't want a Parkland here. We don't want a uh, Uvalde here. And quite frankly, we shouldn't have that in any part of the country. So in terms of local level policies that we can do to prevent that, I want to support universal background checks. And I want to support a red flag law that would um, you know, take away a firearm from a person that is at risk to themselves or and or at risk to their community. My whole thing is 
I don't want to deprive anyone of their constitutional rights, but I also think we can take common sense steps to ensure that we have greater safety in our communities. And most Americans, the overwhelming majority of Americans, in fact, are in favor of common sense measures to ensure that we have greater gun safety. So those are two things that I want to do at the state level to ensure that we have greater gun safety here in New Hampshire um, and sort of find that compromise between not taking away anyone's constitutional rights, but also upholding common sense and upholding public safety because this spate of gun violence is completely out of control and we need to prevent that from happening here in our state. Now, Democrats have complained uh, previously about the fact that Republicans have not been as willing to come to the table. And with Governor Sununu in office, potentially even when you are in office um, and, and with the Republicans in the legislature, do you think there is room for bipartisanship here, like with the economic issues and compromise, or is that, are, are there, are you not willing to compromise on that? Or, are, and are you well, that hard set on your No, I'm, I'm actually, I'm tremendously optimistic, Ashan, and I'll tell you why. Uh, just this year, we had a federal level gun bill that passed through Congress and was signed by President Biden. And to be honest, I could not, I did not foresee that happening. I was very pleasantly surprised. Obviously, I don't think it went far enough in ensuring public safety, but I'm certainly of the position that something is better than nothing. And this did deliver something. I think the last time there was meaningful, substantial uh, gun legislation that came at the congressional level was in the 1990s. Uh, and I, I didn't foresee something like this happening, you know, uh, in this kind of political climate, but that happened with bipartisan Republican support. So even if we might not entirely agree on all the nuances of gun policy, I think, you know, Democrats, independents, Republicans, a, mo a majority of them do agree that we need some form of common sense measures and we can come to the table and work something out. We might not be able to get all of what we want, especially if we don't you know, have an overwhelming veto-proof majority or something like that, which, um, you know, I'm not sure is terribly likely in this particular cycle. Uh, I do think we can come together and compromise and put something together that does overall enhance public safety. But of course, ideally, if we can get the numbers, if we can get the votes, I would prefer to go further and have more robust safety measures in place so that we can further reduce the number of violent gun incidents. Good to hear that. Um, now you are generally compared to your colleagues a lot younger and big focus of this show is about getting more young people, Republican and Democrat, involved in politics and understanding their political system. So right. just my young audience, um, can you tell us what inspired you to run uh, for office at such a young age? Yeah, I'm actually I'm actually the youngest candidate on the Democratic side for my district. Um, and if you go to the state legislature in, in Concord, uh, you'd probably be forgiven for thinking you've just stumbled into a retirement home or something like that. Um, for me, I think one of the big motivations is a gap in representation. I did not see my voice, one, as a young person, and two, as an Asian American person of color. I did not see my voice sufficiently represented. And I think we do need more people like us 
to represent our perspective and represent our issues. So I felt like that I could fill that gap there. Um, it wasn't being sufficiently filled right now in the state legislature and that I could, you know, present a new voice, uh, provide a new perspective uh, and provide, you know, a more dynamic element to our legislature. So that was one of my big motivations for running. Okay. And then is there anything you'd like to say to young voters in your district that are listening right now um, that maybe on the fence about voting this year, um, just because they don't, because as we've seen, young voters generally are not the most likely mm. to want to vote. So is there anything you want to say to young voters? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of the issue with youth turnout is that a lot of younger folks don't see how it quite affects them directly yet. But I think that's probably changing uh, in recent cycles and in this cycle also, because I think young people are starting to see how politics can uh, tangibly impact them. I mean, we talked about the issue of choice. That's obviously an issue that's going to be more directly affecting younger people. And that's something very personal and very intimate and very important. Uh, we've also seen issues relating to climate change. That's something that will very, very directly impact young people. So my message to other fellow young people out there <laughs> is to make sure that you get out there and vote because it does matter. And now you're able to see how it matters quite clearly. It, it, it's crystallizing quite cl clearly. So if you want to have a say in these issues, if you want to have a say in how the country is run, and if you want to say in how these things affect you, please, please, please make sure you get out there and vote. Uh, election day is this Tuesday, November 8th. You can register at the polls. Uh, polls are open 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, if you're not sure where to vote, how to vote, if you're confused at all in any way, that's okay. Go to IWillVote.com. That's IWillVote.com. And that will give you in very simple, plain language, very easy, very convenient, how to vote, where to where to vote, what the process is, and it'll make it super easy for you. So please, please get out there and vote Tuesday. Excellent. And thank you so much for putting that message out because as I said, and I've said it for, a, I've said it a billion times on the show, voting is very important. So please yeah. take Mr. Mistress advice and go out and vote. But, um, you know, we are almost out of time. Um, now, before we do end the interview, are there any parting thoughts uh, that you'd like to share before we conclude things here? Yeah, I mean, just as we've dis discussed before, uh, reproductive freedom is on the ballot. Uh, climate change is on the ballot. High energy bills are on the ballot. Public education is on the ballot. All these issues that are very, very important issues uh, going forward. They need to be addressed. Make sure that you're voting for people that are looking out for your interests when it comes to these big issues. And again, please remember to vote on Tuesday. Well, Neil Mishra running for New Hampshire State House. Neil, thank you so much for joining us here today. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. When we first understood the concept of voting when we were younger. It seemed like our vote didn't matter. It was a single vote in a, in a sea of other votes. You know, it doesn't matter what I do or what I don't do. It's one vote. But as time has gone on these days, 
we have started to understand that the power of a vote is truly very powerful. <laughs> it's something that cannot be taken for granted, and it's something that we have to respect and honor. And as somebody that analyzes politics, my job is to look at the numbers. And some of those numbers include looking at vote counts. And I see races that are decided by as little as 40 votes. I see the impact of coming out to vote in elections and helping to decide the future. So to all of you listening right now that may be on the fence or may not be interested in voting or may have never even cared about voting, if you are 18 years or older and can vote, then you have a civic responsibility to go and vote. Our Constitution empowers you with this awesome power that other people in this world don't have to go decide who your leaders are, to decide how your country's governed, to decide the future course that it takes. Don't waste it. It's a powerful and a very humble thing. It's your ability to decide the future of your country in the course that it takes. Honor it. And even if you don't care enough about issues, go out there and vote for people like me that are 16 years old and can't vote yet. We wish to vote. <laughs> Young people like me that are very involved in politics, we want to vote, but we are, we're not old enough. So go honor your ability to vote and, and do it. Go to an election poll. Learn about the candidates. Learn about the issues because I promise you that if something doesn't go your way in two years and you look back at this and you, think, you tell yourself, gee, I didn't vote because I didn't think my vote mattered or that I didn't want to take out the time, you're going to regret it. And it's not going to be because of X thing or B thing. It's going to be because you didn't vote. That's it. So recognize the agency of this moment. Recognize the moment that we are in in this country. Honor your constitutional right and vote. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next week in a new America. And so that does it for us here today at the Sean S. Show. If you like my commentary, then go ahead and follow the Sean S. Show on Twitter and Instagram for breaking news posts and updates about the show. And if you want to learn more about political stories, then check out my political news blog on the Show.com and go ahead and subscribe to it. Do us a favor and share this episode and all your other favorite episodes with your friends and family. It's the best way for this show to grow and get more people listening to it. Thanks again for all your support, and I'll see you guys next week. Bye.